0: Welcome to the Legal One podcast, brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training in the state of New Jersey. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we are thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing critical legal principles based on case law statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other critical stakeholders to positively address the issues in question. And we'll give you more information. We'll give you resources so that you can access online courses and other events and know how to get a greater level of understanding of these issues. So let's get started, and thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast.
1: Welcome to the Legal One podcast. My name is Sandra Jakes, and I am the supervisor of legal research and content development for Legal One. Today's episode is part of Legal One's summer 2021 podcast series regarding New Jersey schools and the law. Today we are discussing a school district's need to respond to evolving cybersecurity issues in schools. This podcast is being recorded in July of 2021, and all discussions of issues are current as of that time. As always, this podcast serves as an overview discussion of issues and does not constitute legal advice. Our guest speaker today is Joe Ventry. Joe is a Certified Information Systems Security Professional, also known as a CISSP. He is the founder of www.cybersecurityguard.com, and he is a chief information officer, also known as the CIO, in a New Jersey school district. Welcome, Joe, and I turn it over to you to share your expertise.
2: Thank you, Sandra, and welcome to everyone who is listening. I hope you get something valuable from this podcast, as there is a good amount of information, and we'll try to get through as much as possible. One of the things that we'll be talking about today are incidents that take place in different districts. There are quite a few incidents that we aren't made aware of because the district does not make it publicly known, but we'll go over some of the more prominent breaches and issues that have taken place across the country. What we do know is cybersecurity incidents in K-12 have rose 18% in 2020. 408 publicly disclosed incidents took place in 2020 as well. And 51% of those attacks were affecting rural districts. So the perception, unfortunately, for school districts is that we are the low-hanging fruit. And the reason why that perception exists is because they know, and when I say they, I mean, you know, your typical hacker or threat actor They know we don't have the resources or the money to protect our infrastructure the way a large company does. But at the same time, we do have pretty much the same information that a large company would possess. For example, we possess social security numbers and routing numbers of staff for their banking and checking account numbers for direct deposit. So this is all valuable information that a typical hacker would love to have and sell on the on the dark web so that being said again you know a hacker knows if they're lucky they only have to face maybe a firewall to deal with and you know maybe an intrusion detection system or something of that nature unfortunately though most districts don't have anything that sophisticated so again the perception is it's easy to get into a school district and take the data you add to that that a lot of the threats now, if not most of the threats come in through email, that makes the threat vector, which basically means ways for them to get in much larger. Just as an example, the Miami-Dade County public school system in Florida experienced eight distributed denial of service attacks on the same day. And in a few minutes, I'll get into what a distributed denial of service is. It basically impacted 170,000 students and teachers. And after some investigation, they determined that it was launched by a 16 year old student who actually purchased the attack through an online service because believe it or not, some of these attacks can be purchased online. So that was what Miami-Dade had experienced. In Fairfax County public school system in Virginia, they had a ransomware incident Basically, what happens with ransomware is you get an email, you click on a link, and the malware goes out and encrypts all your data, and encrypts means it kind of locks it up, and you get this lovely screen that says, hey, your information and your data has been encrypted. If you want to get the data back, you have to pay a certain amount of money, and it's usually in Bitcoin, if, if not always in Bitcoin and you only have a certain amount of time to pay the ransom, otherwise you're going to destroy the data. It's been in the news quite lately. Uh, You've seen some major companies being hit with ransomware and the conversation now is really, should we be paying the ransom? There's even talk of making paying ransomware demands illegal. I think that's easy for some legislators to say But when you're a small company and you have all of your data has been locked up and there's no way to get it back, and maybe paying the ransom is the only way to get it back, I think sometimes some exceptions need to be made. In the case of the Fairfax County breach, the assailants were never caught, and the data was actually stolen in addition to being held for ransom. So 190,000 students' information ended up on the dark web. And for those of you who don't know what the dark web is basically the dark web is exactly what it sounds like it's it's the internet but the dark version of it you can buy anything on the dark web from drugs to fake ids to uh, anything you can imagine so again 190,000 student records ended up on the dark web which created a whole host of other issues for the district and the last example i wanted to give you was Baltimore County public school system. Again, it was a ransomware attack. It was so severe that students and staff were advised not to use district equipment. So if they had district equipment in their homes, they were not to use the equipment and teachers were actually advised to avoid using the school email, even if they were going to check it from a personal device, because there was some fear of, they had not tracked down which email or where the Ransomware got in so they didn't want the ransomware to spread to outside of the district network So the district advised everyone to just stay off Of everything quite frankly and this attack pretty much blasted them back to what we would consider the stone age Where you know, hey people were using phones instead of email and you know sending faxes and things like that So it's a very serious issue It's an issue that a lot of school districts, especially in New Jersey with your smaller districts, where you might find a superintendent who also acts as the IT person or a BA. I happen to know of a a small district where a BA is also the IT person. I understand the limitations that a small district may have, even large districts might have in regard to getting the proper IT staff in place. But when it comes to cybersecurity, you really can't have a, you know, part-time person doing it. You need someone who's dedicated, someone who understands not only the, the viruses and the threats and the malware, but also the response. How do we respond? How do we, you know, what do we put in place to prevent? It's not about reaction it's also about being proactive things like that need to be considered because at the end of the day the question is do you want to spend five hundred thousand dollars and this is just an example no one panic please I'm not saying you need to spend five hundred thousand the question is do you, would you spend five hundred thousand dollars now to protect the network or would you would you pay two million dollars to get the data back in ransom well you know that's uh, something that every school district hopefully doesn't have to ever deal with but that's kind of what you're looking at. It's almost like insurance on your car. You may never use it. You may never need it, but Hey, when you have that accident, it's great to have the insurance. So you want to be careful because it is a new thing. And, and there are a lot of brokers talking about and offering it. And some brokers tell their districts that they actually are already covered. You really need to look into that and see what that means. You need to find out what exactly am I covered for? If you're in a pool you need to be careful as well. You got to find out how big that pool is. If it's a million dollar pool, that sounds great. But if there's 25 districts in the pool and let's say 10 of them get hit in the same year and they're hit for a large amount of money, when you go to get file your claim, there might not be much money left and you could have a problem. So you need to really get into those details and find out the details of your cyber insurance. So when we talk about the different threats that are out there. You know, again, we have your, your, your malware, which is your ransomware and your viruses, you know, things that will shut your machine down and, you know, your nuisance viruses that create pop-ups and things like that. Then you have the n- distributed denial of service attack, which I mentioned earlier. We have phishing and then you have third party errors, which is an interesting one as well. So when we, we already talked about ransomware, and, and, and viruses. So let's talk about distributed denial of service for a second. So distributed denial of service, the best way to describe that is to try and imagine the, an army of computers. And what I mean is, so you have this one person, this one threat actor, hacker, whatever you want to call them. So he, he sends out software to a bunch of computers. And I'm, when I say a bunch, we're talking hundreds, if not thousands. That basically make these computers act under his command. So then, what he'll do is he'll say, "Okay, so I, I'm I have a problem with X Y Z school district, and we're gonna I'm gonna make problems for them." So he tells his army of computers to just send message after message, not emails, but just like you know, sort of like hello, 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 hello to the school district. Basically, you're bombarding the district with messages, with traffic. So what happens is the district gets overloaded, right? Because your circuits can only handle so much. And it makes, it'll either make your network so slow it's unusable or the circuit will go down. And what you'll find is, and again, this is just another FYI, be very careful because I, I won't mention the, the provider. However, <clears throat> I know of a school district that had this issue called their ISP and the ISP said, well, it's not an issue with the circuit, the circuit's working. It's this distributed denial of service attack that's going on and guess what? That's not covered under support. So you're gonna have to go to our level three support, which by the way is for this kind of problem is starting at $15,000 just to, just to get this to stop. So when you're talking to your ISPs, and this is again, this goes back to what I mentioned earlier, how important it is to have somebody within your organization, or maybe not a full-time person, but someone needs to be your point person for looking at your contracts, looking at your terms of service with these different vendors, seeing what they're responsible to you for, and making sure that certain things are there. Because things like distributed denial of service, that's very real. And a lot of school districts have experienced that. And then to have that happen, to bring the the network down to cause a disruption and on top of it to find out to get it fixed, it's going to cost you thousands of dollars. Phishing is an email threat. Basically what hackers do is they will try to hook you in where the, is with, hence the name phishing comes in with sending an email that tries to, to trick you into thinking it's either a legitimate email or work-related email. And they'll include links in there that take you to a website that might look legitimate, asks for you for your name and your address and your social security and so on and so forth. And then next thing you know, you've just provided your information to a hacker or a malicious actor or a threat actor. And the last one I wanted to talk about in terms of threats is the third party error. Now, no one knows this better than Target. I'm sure some of you, if not all of you, remember back in the day, a few years ago, Target, at the time, the largest breach of data in American history. The hackers took, they got everyone's personal information, credit card information, expiration date, and the CVV code of the credit card. So it was massive. And the story that got out was what, how that happened was Target called their HVAC vendor because they were having problems in one of their stores with their air conditioning units. The HVAC vendor had remote access to the store. It was the HVAC vendor that had the virus. It was the HVAC vendor that that had the vulnerability. So when the HVAC vendor connected to Target, it gave the hacker a way into Target. So again, that third-party contract that you might have or agreement, you need to make sure that there's something in there that says if there is something that that they do wrong that causes your network or your institution damage, whether it's physical or just bringing the network down and causing work disruption, they are responsible. And you're going to get a lot of pushback. I've had that many battles quite frankly with different vendors and and some vendors I've walked away from who refuse to take on the liability, but it's a a real thing. There's no reason, it's not unreasonable to say if you created the problem, you're the one who's gonna pay for it. So you just need to be aware of that and you wanna make sure that when you're talking to your third parties again, especially when they want access to the network. And even if it's something that you think is minor, for example, HVAC, like, oh, what damage could they do? Well, if the HVAC network is connected to the school network in some way, shape or form, that could be very damaging. If your network is not configured correctly through no one's fault, uh, you know, the people that you have may, I'm sure doing a great job, do the best they can, but hey, mistakes happen. If there's a mistake in the configuration connecting to the, let's say HVAC network might give them full access to the school network. So you wanna be really, really careful with third parties as well. Another piece of malware that I wanna touch on briefly is something called spyware. And spyware basically is, again, pretty much what it sounds like. It runs on your machine and it tracks your keystrokes. So for example, if you're, whatever you're typing into your your keyboard and that's usernames, that's passwords, that's, you know, websites, addresses, essentially they're just trying to steal your credentials, right? So if I type in wellsfargo.com, they know that the next set of information they're gonna see is my username and my password. So they take that and then they get access to your information or they access your accounts more importantly. Interesting one with phishing, there's actually something called spear phishing. The cool thing about technology is we have the, the best names for everything. We just, we, do, we just really do. So spear phishing, what that means is, so what I mentioned earlier is you have phishing where they're you know, trying to hook you into sending information or providing information. So spear phishing, what that is, is when they target individuals and what they do is they act as the CEO of the company you work for. So some of you may have seen an email come in that says, CEO at your school district.org, right? Or superintendent at your and the name of your school district.org. That's somebody trying to trick you into believing your superintendent is trying to is is talking to you or or trying to ask you to do something. And it usually is something like transfer money from here to here or do an electronic funds transfer from here to here and let me know when it's done. I happen to know of a very real example of this, but it was a little bit more sophisticated where the person or the, the, per, the group, whoever it was that did this, they did some research on this one district. They had the name of the superintendent and they created a fake email address. And so when the HR person receives this email address, it says from doctor and, and whatever the superintendent's name was, but the HR person didn't bother read the email address. All she saw was the name of the superintendent. So she didn't bother to go any further. She didn't bother to read any further. She just read the email. Guess what the email said? Hey, I changed banks. Please make sure that my direct deposits go to this new bank. Here's the routing number. Here is the checking account number. The HR person goes ahead, makes all the changes, and you know where I'm going. The first pay period after this happened, the superintendent calls and says, I didn't get paid. And it went started going back and forth with, well, you know, you asked us to change it. And when we looked into it, when they called me and they asked me to help them look into it, first thing I did was look at the email and I saw, look at the email address. It's not your superintendent. And, you know, of course, everybody felt terrible and everything else. But again, you can't be just easily tricked into just because the name of the email says someone you know, you got to go that step further and make sure it's actually somebody you know, especially when it's talking about money. You know, that should be the red flag, even if it's something that you're used to seeing from your superintendent or your BA once in a while. You know, just pick up that phone and say, hey, I got your email about doing that transfer or changing your direct deposit. I just want to make sure that's good. You know, you want to do that just get them to say yes. (laughs) It can't hurt because you just want to make sure before you make a mistake like that. So when we're talking about schools and cybersecurity, and we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. First of all, obviously we are an easy target. Students' social security numbers are extremely valuable. So the reason why students' social security numbers, especially the young ones, are so valuable is because the perception, and I've read a few, a, a few papers and I've sat in on a few discussions on, from cyber experts on this. The perception is that the younger kids, like your kindergartners, first grade, second grade, probably all the way up to maybe even eighth grade, they won't use their social security number for probably till they're 17 or 18 when they're applying for maybe FAFSA for loans. So that's a good chunk of years that that number is not gonna be looked at. And the hackers know this. So by the time you do look at it, the social security number and the credit of this child has been ruined. So that's what makes them so valuable because chances are that they can use it for a number of years and not get caught. You know, another thing about districts that makes it attractive to a hacker is that they believe that we have this tons of bandwidth available for them to use. And in some, ca- in some cases, we do. In some cases, some districts have a lot of bandwidth. Why is that important to a hacker? Well, I, as I said earlier, those distributed denial of service attacks, they take up a lot of bandwidth. So if they can turn your computers on your network into their little army they can launch a really successful denial of service attack against somebody else. The other perception, which unfortunately I, from what I've seen is that educators tend not to take it seriously at the level it should. And it's true in some districts. It's I have seen it improve over the years and that's a good thing, but you know, cybersecurity takes it to a different level, right? So it's not about any more. It's not just about having, your, your technicians and your IT supervisor or even a director. Cybersecurity is, again, like I mentioned earlier, is a different way of thinking. It's a different approach just because you have great server people and great desktop support people that does not necessarily make them cybersecurity experts. So, you again, you want to take it seriously, listen to your IT people because they are, you know, they're reading the trades, they're reading the articles, they're, you know, a lot of them are on the lists when a new threat is released, they hear about it. So it's time for uh, IT to, uh, I like to say, it's time for IT to have a seat at the adult table. And the last thing about schools that make them attractive to hackers is they know there's many devices, especially now with districts with one-to-one. So that means many devices means many ways in. So for them, that's a, that's a great thing. When you look at your infrastructure, again, going back to that many ways in, so we could have Chromebooks, laptops, servers, personal devices, vending machines, don't laugh, HVAC systems, VoIP phones, Wi-Fi access points, routers, firewalls, video DVRs, tablets, anything that can connect to your network is a potential vulnerability. Vending machines, there was a university that had I don't know, a few hundred vending machines all hooked up to their network and they were being managed remotely so that the vendor would know if the vending machine was running low on Coke or was running low on different, you know, candies, they would know exactly how much to send out and when. Well, every one of those machines had a vulnerability. One of the college students caught wind of it and you could take it from there. He got into their network and created a bunch of problems. So never under, if it plugs into the network, it's something you need to be aware of. Passwords, very important. It's something that I've seen forever in education. Please get away from writing down your passwords and leaving it on a sticky on your monitor. It's very bad. <laughs> Don't share your passwords. Another popular thing in schools, and not just in schools, even in, in regular business, right? Someone's going on vacation, and the immediate reaction is, all right, I'm going to give my password to, to Joe because he's going to be covering my calls. Well, wait, 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 wait. We can forward his calls. (laughs) Don't give, you know, don't give out any uh, passwords or we can forward his emails or we can, you know, let people give it a chance to enable you to do your job without giving out your password or getting someone, someone else's information for the educators or the administrators listening, please don't, you know, fall for the, the excuses with the passwords, you know, it's too hard to remember, you know, I need to access someone's file. So that's why I have to have their password. None of that is acceptable. And it's most important for IT and cybersecurity to get the support from administration. It's gotta be a top down thing for everyone to really take hold and appreciate and follow the cybersecurity guidelines. If something was to happen, you wanna make sure you have an incident response plan in place you want to make sure that you identify who is notified in the event of a breach is it your superintendent is it your board attorney is it the board i mean it's that's up to each district who's responsible for making the notifications you want to have all this mapped out so in the event of a breach you are ready and you you know exactly what to do and no one's scrambling to find out what they should be doing regarding your budgeting in order to figure out how much you should spend on cybersecurity, you should figure out what you're trying to protect so it's not just data breaches also impact hardware so that sometimes there's hardware costs that have to be replaced. So you want to think about how much those things cost, assign values to them, and then maybe set that'll help you set your budget. You want firewalls, you want intrusion protection systems, prevention systems, detection systems, data loss prevention. This may sound like a lot, there are several packages out there today that come with everything included. So just to finish up, as I said, data stored by the district needs to be protected at the same level as a private business. You wanna educate your staff on protecting the data and what it means and why it's important. A clear incident response plan will help the district get back online as quickly as possible in the event of a breach. IT policies need to be strictly adhered to and enforced by the senior administration so that it's lead by example. IT directors and managers need to be part of the conversation at the central office level. Like I said, seated at the table. Cyber insurance will help mitigate the cost to a district, even in the event of an incident. And lastly, management of third-party vendors is vital when the vendor is storing or processing personal identification information. That's all I have in the speed round. So I thank you for your time and I'll throw it back to Sandra.
1: Thanks, Joe, for sharing all of your expertise with us. If you would like more information about what you have heard today, you can go to the Legal One website www.njpsa.org/legal1nj and you can also obtain a copy of a PowerPoint that goes along With everything that Joe talked about today so you'd have the information in writing. That will also be available where you accessed this podcast. Check out the Legal One website for more Legal One courses, webinars, or workshops, and you can find out more information about Joe Ventry's organization at www.cybersecurityguard.com. Thanks for joining us. Have a good day and be well.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org/legal1nj.